Good morning, Seattle. This is Tamina Watson on Desi 1250 AM. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. It's Tuesday. Uh, This is August the 16th. Um, And, you know, on Monday, it was Independence Day in India. Uh, Was it yesterday? Uh, So congratulations uh, to everybody in India. This is Desi 1250. It's only appropriate that somebody says Happy Independence Day. You know, today's show is going to be very interesting. It's going to be very informative and uh, educational, I hope, uh, because I don't have a guest today and we have lots of news updates to speak about, but also a particular inquiry that came along uh, in my inbox that uh, generates a lot of information about what to do if you want to move to this country. So if you are new to this show, the show is all about immigration uh, issues, uh, all sorts of legal updates, news updates, uh, information that will inspire, educate and inform you. And we also generally talk to notable immigrants or notable people making an impact on immigration. So notable immigrants uh, really are here generally to uh, on the show to talk about what they have done, what they've accomplished uh, in the United States with their backgrounds. And the people making an impact on immigration or immigrant lives are really people who are trying to make a change or a difference in in the lives of immigrants, whether it's refugees uh, coming to the U.S. from war-torn areas in the world or people trying to change the law simply because our immigration system is broken. So uh, that's a snapshot of the show. We are coming up to a year of having this particular show. And sometime in the near future, I'm going to do a let's look back on the shows that we've done so you can see what kind of information we have shared so far. But the idea is... Immigration is such a complicated subject matter and typically very daunting and misunderstood that my aim is to make sure that immigration comes across as not so difficult to understand and perhaps even make it a little bit fun. So uh, stay tuned for some future shows to learn about uh, what is going to happen. We're calendaring out the entire year and I'm very excited about November. Because as you know, it's going to be the election month and uh, we're going to have some exciting guests around that time to talk about immigration, voting, why immigrants' voices need to be heard, why you need to get out to vote and make your voice heard. So if you have just tuned in, this is Tamina Watson on Desi 1250 AM. I'm going to talk a little bit about news updates right now. If you did want to call into the show, ask me questions, leave some feedback, the number of the show is 844-301-1250. That's 844-301-1250. In terms of news updates, three very important things happened um, in the last two weeks. You may recall that we had uh, a very distinguished guest. His name was Jeremy, Jeremy Robbins from the, new, uh, the Partnership for a New American Economy, which is uh, an organization that is part of the Bloomberg uh, you know, um, umbrella, if you like. And Jeremy Robbins is the executive director of the organization. When he spoke about his work and uh, the, uh, the policy work uh, and the influence that he and his organization is trying to make, he mentioned that uh, some new reports were coming out very soon. And I'm pleased to say that uh, last week, a whole 
bunch of reports were released, and they are state-based reports on immigrant contributions in America. I highly recommend that you go to the website and look at those reports which highlight immigrant contributions to America in each state, what industries are hiring uh, specifically uh, immigrants, uh, what industries are generating revenue, how immigrants are contributing in particular industries. Uh, and there are lots of numbers of uh, figures uh, of uh, revenue that's been generated and employees that are being created. Really, really important information and da data that is relevant for the current rhetoric that we are seeing on immigration, uh, particularly if you've been following the news about um, let's build a wall and let's have extreme uh, background checks of immigrants before they come to the U.S., uh, a lot of these reports will dispel that kind of um, misinformation. So I highly recommend you go and look at it. The website, if you Google the Partnership for a New American Economy, you will find all those reports. And I specifically ask you to read the one for Washington State. Uh, so that's the New American Economies reports. So the next uh, very important thing, and this is going to be quick, is the entrepreneurial parole. You might recall that my pet cause to fight for is a new visa category for entrepreneurs, which we do not have in this country. And on that note, I'll ask you to go and look up my book on Amazon or Barnes & Noble called The Startup Visa, Key to Job Growth and Economic Prosperity. Uh, and in that book, I mention the executive action uh, that was announced by President Obama in November 2014, in which he had mentioned there will be a new uh, provision for entrepreneurs who come to the U.S. to create jobs uh, and generate revenue and essentially help the economy. It's about coming up to two years now, and the policy has not been announced. However, uh, earlier this week, the, uh, the White House had sent the rules to the Office of... Um, uh, migration, it's called OMB, and I forget what it stands for right now, but it's really the policy people. And they will essentially look at the rules, and soon thereafter, the, the rules will actually be published on the Federal Register. So I think at this point, the rules are quite imminent, and I cannot wait to see those. And I would ask you to sign up to my blog, which is on watsonimmigrationlaw.com, and make sure that you sign up to get uh, uh, the the news feed as well as signing up to our Twitter feed and Facebook page because this particular provision is a brand new provision that will be um which will really affect uh, how um entrepreneurs come to the US so the OMB stands for Office of Management and Budget Thank you, Dustin. He's my producer today. I'm so excited to, to have Dustin here today. Um, so entrepreneurial parole, as you know, is we do not have something like this at all. And it's really a, using existing laws to create a new provision, new category for a new category of immigrants. So watch out for this. And lastly, the, the very big news that I want to share is the administration's updated policy on provisional waivers. 
Part of the November 2015, sorry, 14 executive action um, announcements had included making policy changes on a various, uh, a variety of uh, number of, uh, of categories. And that also included creating a pathway uh, or expanding the the, the criteria for having deferred action, for example, and you might recall our previous shows in which we talked about Supreme Court uh, cases, the Supreme Court case on this on this matter. So part of that very same executive action announcement included provisional waivers. And what does that mean? It means that when somebody arrives in the U.S. without uh, the legal um, a legal entry, they cannot adjust their status to get a green card, even if they get married to a U.S. citizen. And in that situation, somebody has to leave the U.S., go to their to, to their own embassy, whichever country that may be, and essentially prove that the, the marriage is genuine, but also then essentially say, sorry that I was in the U.S. for so long, Please forgive me because my uh, qualifying relative, uh, in other words, my husband or child, um, um, parent will might, will suffer extreme hardship. Now, what President Obama did was change the policy that somebody could file for that provisional waiver, that sorry request, if you like, um, uh, in the U.S. Because typically when somebody goes to the, the embassy, they're waiting for six months or more to get an answer on that waiver application. So the provisional waiver was instituted a couple of years ago where people would file that in the U.S. and wait to get a response and then go outside the U.S. to the embassy to get their green cards. And it has been working very well. There were some hiccups initially, and it only covers unlawful presence, and I'll cover unlawful presence on another day, but it essentially means that you have been in the U.S. illegally. So last week, uh, sorry, last week, yes, uh, the provisional waivers were um, expanded in, in who can apply. Typically, only somebody who is an immediate relative of somebody who's a qualifying relative, and I'm speaking a lot of legal jargon here, but uh, essentially those were the criteria. So an immediate relative is somebody who is a parent, child, or a spouse of a U.S. citizen or a green card holder. Only those people could apply for a provisional waiver in the U.S. Uh, and as long as you had a qualifying relative. Now, the, the new policy has expanded that to allow somebody who gets uh, who is eligible for a, for a green card in other methods. Uh, and that means that perhaps you are eligible to get a green card because your employer has sponsored you. Uh, and so if you have a qualifying relative, you can still now, you can now apply for a waiver based on the fact that you're el eligible to get a green card. And on another day, I'm going to go through the policy inside out so you can understand this better. But I believe a lot of people in our Desi community will actually qualify for the expanded version of the provisional waivers. So if you do have questions or comments, or feedback, make sure you call the station at 844-301-1250 or you could email me at info at watsonimmigrationlaw.com. That's info, I-N-F-O, at watsonimmigrationlaw.com. 
com. Very, very important change. And it's uh, a, a big thank you has to go to the Obama administration for trying to expand policy and trying to push the law as far as it can go. Because unless Congress changes law, we are stuck with the law that we have. So interpreting the law in a new way or expanding the imp- interpretation is very creative and welcomed by the the immigrant community as well as immigration practitioners like myself. So if you have just tuned in, this is Immigration with Tamina on Desi 1250 AM. Thank you so much for joining us. I want to share uh, a question that I got um, last week. And it was an interesting question because I think it would be relevant to a lot of you that are listening um, and perhaps even thinking about uh, immigrating if you're in a different country or you're visiting the U.S. or you have relatives that you want to um, give options to. So the question was, hey, Tamina, I was born in in the U.K. and uh, I was raised here. I have a job here. But with Brexit, I'm sort of troubled about what's going on here and I'm exploring my options about moving somewhere and I'd love to visit America why don't you please tell me a little bit more about the options I have so I told uh, this person the options that they can consider and I thought it would be a great thing for you the listeners to understand so this person is a citizen of the UK and they are thinking about coming here to explore their options. So the first question that I had was, hey, Tamina, I can visit the U.S. for 90 days on a visa waiver using the ESTA program. Um, but how can I stay in the U.S. for more than 90 days? So the answer to that question is, if you want to just visit and check out various locations of the U.S., you can apply for a B-2 visa, which is a visitor visa. And even though you're eligible for a visa waiver, you cannot stay here for for more than 90 days and you cannot even extend that status. So a B2 visa is a great option to have. The question then she had was, how do I apply and what do I need to show for that? So when you're applying for a visitor visa, at the embassy, you apply directly at the embassy itself. You go to the website, the U.S. consulate of that country. In this particular situation, it was it was the embassy of London. But it could be if you're in Australia, it could be Sydney. If you're in India, it could be Mumbai. It doesn't matter which embassy it is. The procedure is the same. You go to the embassy website. You click on the form uh, about visitor visas and you will complete a form called DS-160. And what do I need to show? When you're coming to the U.S. as a visitor, you need to show that you have sufficient ties to your home country and you will be able to finance your trip by yourself and you'll be returning to your home country uh, after the trip. So they want to see um, money in the bank. They want to see a job, house, bills, maybe family members, an ailing parent if you're not married uh, with children. Um, so those that would be the option to come to the U.S. for at least six months. And on a B-2 visa, so you can actually extend your status for an additional six months if you want. And you have to file that while you are in status. So that was a great option for this person who simply wanted to explore the various locations in the U.S., travel around and see what she, she felt was a location that called, um, called her. So her question then was, hey, you know, I have a business in London and, you know, I could probably run a business in the U.S. So how do I scope out business opportunities in the U.S.? So my answer to her was, well, instead of having a B-2 visa, you could potentially have a B-1 visa. And that's a business visa, uh, which allows you to come to the U.S., 
to um, perhaps conduct meetings, network with potential clients, research business opportunities. And the application process is exactly the same as you would for a B2. You go to the U.S. Embassy website, you apply uh, for um, that visa using the DS form, and you show similar documentation to the, the immigration officer. And you will also be allowed for six months. However, the immigration officer at the at the airport or the the border patrol, wherever that border, uh, the point of entry is for you, uh, they may make a, a discretionary decision to allow you to come into the U.S. for a lesser time. But you can get up to six months uh, at any given visit. So she was very happy with those answers. But then she said, well, you know, I've had my business for a long time. And I've had it for over 10 years. Can I transfer to the U.S. using this very business that I have? And that's a great question because, you know, a lot of my practice is really dealing with people who have similar questions. So in that situation, there's an, a great visa called L1 visa. If you are an executive or a manager of a particular business outside the U.S. and you have been uh, in, a, in that position for over one year, at least in the last three years, and you are coming to the U.S. to be in that position, and there is a qualifying relationship, sorry to have legal jargon again, the qualifying relationship is uh, essentially the ownership is same or similar in the U.S. of that company, or there is a parent or, or, or subsidiary situation uh, of that company. So there has to be a qualifying relationship between the companies, and it has to be an executive or manager situation. Or it could be specialized knowledge. That's a discussion for another day. And um, you can you're uh, you're coming to the U.S. Uh, to be in that position. So what is the government looking for when you apply for this visa? They're looking to see whether you are doing all these three things I mentioned, uh, but they are looking to see that you are indeed an executive or a manager, and they're looking at your position very, uh, uh, a very, uh, in a very scrutinized manner. So you've got to list your job description uh, so well that they understand that you are indeed an executive abroad and you're an executive in the U.S. They are looking to see how many employees you have. And if you have no employees abroad, then the situation becomes very complicated. So the person who I was speaking with said, well, I don't really have any employees. What do I do? And I said, well, then the L1 becomes a rather challenging visa for you. So why don't we look at other options? And she said, well, what if I just come to the US and open a business? And that's a great question, because if you are from the UK and other countries, which are part of the the uh, treaty uh, that of the U.S. and there are um, the Department of State has a website in which they list the countries that are part of a treaty. Um, you can have a treaty trader visa or a treaty um, uh, investor visa. And this particular person I was speaking with could invest her own money to create a business and apply for an E2 visa. Uh, the question then became, how much money do I really invest? Now, the law doesn't really explain or uh, uh, really tell you how much money to invest in an E2 situation. It says your investment has to be substantial. And what does substantial mean? If you ask any immigration lawyer, they will tell you that the rule of thumb is $100,000. It doesn't mean less than that wouldn't work, but that's what you are generally aiming for. 
And uh, there is a lot more to discuss in an E2, but on, on, a, on, a, on a higher level when we were talking about her options, an E2 is something that she is now strongly considering. Uh, she, she did ask, how long can I stay? And how does this give me a green card? And the answer to that is you, you have the visa to work in the U.S. for as long as your business is operating, functional, and hopefully profitable. The moment the business closes, uh, you will not be able to retain that visa anymore. Does this visa give me a green card? The answer is no. This is something called a non-immigrant visa. And you can be here for as long as you have the visa, uh, the, the business, but you cannot get a green card from this, which is different from the L1 because the L1 has a similar uh, immigrant visa requirement that allows you to get a green card. And the L1, if I haven't said it already, is a total of seven years in duration. The E2 can be for as long as you want it to be, so long as you have the visa. So her question then was, well, what if I really do want to stay if my business is doing well? And then the answer to that question is the investment, the investor visa called EB-5. Now, in the, in the future show, I will be talking about EB-5s um, exclusively because there's a lot to talk about. But if you listen to the news at any given moment, the EB-5 visa is a controversial area of law and it is expected to have some changes come up in September. So I will be talking about this visa in detail soon. But for purposes of this conversation with this um, caller, at my office, she could use the E2 investment that she had made initially and add to it afresh to make up the minimum of the EB-5 visa. Now, what is the, the minimum? The minimum is $500,000, and that is stated in the law. If you are investing in a poor area, which is a targeted employment area, and the definition of that is uh, a, an area that has high unemployment, or an area that is a rural area with less than 20,000 people uh, living there. Um, you can invest in somebody else's business, or, and that generally, uh, or, or it could be something called a regional center, which is a project-based investment. The law may change actually uh, in 2000, in September on September 30th, 2016. So it's very important to keep an eye on this particular area of law if this is of interest. But for this caller's purposes, if she wants to get an E2, she may not have time to take into the, the a, a account the EB-5 changes that may come up. But she does need to create 10 jobs uh, to keep her green card. And that is uh, a very important component of the EB-5, which is an economic development program essentially. So we go, went through all these options for her and she is now uh, considering all her options. I think she's going to come to the U.S. for six months actually and if she does I'll, I'll bring her to the show and hopefully she'll talk about her, how she had gone through these uh, uh, assessments to understand what is best for her. But you, why is this applicable to you the listener today? Because I, And this is applicable because these options are applicable to anybody or mostly anybody, uh, it, uh, and it could be somebody that you are thinking about uh, who wants to come to the U.S. who doesn't have a family tie or an employer. So these are all independent options to bring somebody to the U.S. Uh, and why does this matter? Sometimes in, in a family-based immigration situation, uh, green cards can take a really long time. If you are applying for your brother or sister, it can take as long as 10 years. It could take even 20 years if they're from the Philippines. 
Balkans. Um, it could take uh, somewhere in between if you're from India. So the length of time that you have to wait is not uh, uh, conducive to really having a life in the U.S. So those are the questions that I answered for her, and I think she's happily considering them. If she comes to the U.S., you'll get to hear from her. But if you have questions, make sure you email or contact me through Desi's website at desi1250am.com. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. I hope you have a wonderful Tuesday, and I hope you will enjoy the sun that will come out later on today, even though it's cloudy. This is Tamina Watson on Immigration with Tamina on Desi 1250 AM. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.